Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Hard Count Football Podcast Live. My name is Jacob Charno, and I am excited to be leading the next generation of football fans live on YouTube and Twitch with the Landry Football Network. Today is August 23rd, and as we slowly approach the start of NFL football, there is a lot of news to talk about today. I will be joined with Michael Rockman of Destination Draft to talk about next year's draft class and what we might be able to expect out of them. We have a packed show today with a whole lot to talk about, so let's get right into it. Starting off the show, let's talk about Yannick Ngakwe. There was a report on Wednesday that Jaguars defensive end Yannick Ngakwe was extremely close to being traded and that there was a team extremely close to getting a deal done with the Jaguars for him. Then there was a report that the team deeply involved with the Jaguars was the New York Jets. This was a surprise especially to Jets fans after Joe Douglas seemed to not want to pay anybody big money during free agency. And when it comes to re-signing, I mean, they just traded Jamal Adams. However, Jets reporters and Jaguars GM Dave Caldwell quickly shot down these rumors. As Caldwell said, the unsubstantiated report really caught me off guard. I don't know where it came from or who it came from, but if he is being traded, I wish someone would let me know. This is taken with a grain of salt for me, since no GM is going to say that they're trading their best defensive player. Might I remind Jets fans of Joe Douglas saying that he wanted to make Jamal Adams a Jet for life before trading him very soon after that. Yannick is a fantastic player, and in the four years he's been in the NFL, he has 37 and a half sacks, 85 quarterback hits, and 14 forced fumbles, which is the fourth most forced fumbles in the league and the eighth most quarterback hits. He's set to play the 2020 season uh, for around $17.8 million under the franchise tag for whatever team he ends up playing for next year. The reality is that Yannick is most likely going to get traded. So let's take a look at some teams that are uh, most likely to trade for Yannick and how he could affect their defense. Keep in mind that whatever team trades for Yannick also has to pay him and extend him. So I am obviously going to keep that in mind when going through these teams. So starting off is the New York Jets. Let's start with the Jets. Like I said, it was reported that the Jets were deeply involved in trade talks for Yannick, but both Dave Caldwell and Jets reporters said that this wasn't true. And as of right now, both teams don't have an agreement on anything. However, Caldwell never denied that he was actually talking to any teams in the first place, which means that I'm sure that at some point there was a phone call between Joe Douglas and Dave Caldwell. 
The Jets have a ton of cap space sitting around $30 million right now remaining. So affording him wouldn't be a problem if the Jets decide to trade for him. The Jets also have a ton to offer. And from what I'm hearing, the price is a second rounder for Yannick. So if the Jets were to make the move for Yannick, Jets fans, you know, they've wanted a good pass rusher for a very long time now. And this is exactly what they would be getting with Yannick. Joe Douglas has been very, very smart this offseason. Jets fans, you know, he has been very good to you guys, very good to us. You know, if you could possibly work something out for Yannick, that would mean that you traded Jamal Adams for two first rounders, Yannick Ngakwe, a safety replacement, and a third rounder, which is absolutely ridiculous for a safety. This move would make complete sense for the Jets. And from everything I'm hearing about Jordan Jenkins and Quinn and Williams, it would probably make this defensive line pretty damn stacked if they did trade for him. Moving on, another team that I've heard some rumors going around about would be the Las Vegas Raiders, possibly having some interest in Yannick. And I think that could be a very smart move for them to make, even though they do have Max Crosby coming off one edge, who actually played very well last year. The Raiders are now in a mainstream sports city in Vegas, and they need to make an impact in their first year. You know, it's an extremely difficult division with the Chiefs, Broncos, and Chargers all having elite or close to elite offensive offensive weapons and offenses in, in total, and pretty elite offensive lines. Those teams, the Chiefs have a really good offensive line, the Broncos have a really good offensive line, and the Chargers are upgrading their offensive line. You know, Mike Mayock, John Gruden have shown that they are more than okay trading away players. Look at Khalil Mack. Look at Amari Cooper, and they're more than okay bringing in players that they feel will help their team, no matter what they have to give up for them. Yannick will bring an edge to this team that they might not have if they don't get him. There's They don't have uh, a big name on that defense that uh, brings a lot of fire or personality to this team that maybe a Raiders fan would want, especially in a city like Vegas. 100% the Raiders should go after him and try to make a splash in their first year in Vegas. Finishing off the three, I said the Seattle Seahawks, and it feels like every time we're talking about a free agent signing or a trade, the Seahawks always have their name in the mix. Seattle lost to Davian Clowney this offseason, but still managed to upgrade their defense by trading away their entire future for Jamal Adams. The Seahawks are desperately trying to upgrade their defense, which has been lackluster the past few seasons and was the 22nd ranked defense last year. Jamal Adams will absolutely help this team uh, just, by, just by being able to play all over. You know, he can line up at linebacker. He can line up at safety. Um, if the Seahawks do decide to trade for Yannick, you know, I'm not sure Jamal Adams can carry this defense necessarily to a Super Bowl. I think that adding Yannick would absolutely help that team. Um, I'm not sure what they can actually trade since the Jets own their entire future when it comes to draft picks for the next two years. So, you know, if the Seahawks can build more on that pass rush that they have been so desperate for, especially with subpar edge rushers in uh, Jerron Reed and Benson Maioa, I, I think that um, Yannick would absolutely help this team as well. You know, any of these teams that actually end up trading for Yannick, they're going to get a great player. Um, he, he seems like a pretty good locker room guy. Obviously, he's not happy in Jacksonville. That's kind of why he's doing all this stuff publicly, publicly trying to get out. Because right now, who would want to be in Jacksonville? They look like they have no future. They're trading away all the best players. And yes, they're going into a rebuild. But Yannick's in the prime of his career. He's not going to want to be on a team that's rebuilding. He's He wants to win now. And listen, I understand that. 
it, it, it works. It works. The Los Angeles Chargers have seemed to resolve their contract problems with defensive end Melvin Ingram. He was approaching the end of his four-year contract and wanted an extension. He came back to practice on Thursday, and it seems like he can return to practice and focus on the 2020 season. Now that his $14 million salary for 2020 is guaranteed. The Chargers solve a problem for now, and they keep one of their key defensive players happy for at least this season. It was reported that Ryan Fitzpatrick is expected to be the starter for the Miami Dolphins week one this season. In my opinion, this can really only mean one thing, and it's that Tua didn't show up to practice and really impress anybody right away. Um, he probably played well. You know, Tua, I think he's a great player. I think he has the, the potential to be the best quarterback that comes out of this year's draft class. But Fitzpatrick is a veteran, and Brian Flores assumes that Tua won't be mentally ready for the opener. This is absolutely amazing for Tua. I really don't think that he started that he should have started week one anyway. He needs time to sit behind. I mean, throwing rookie quarterbacks right into the fire, it's never worked, doesn't work. Mahomes wouldn't have succeeded if they threw him right in immediately. We saw what happened with Dwayne Haskins last year, Daniel Jones. Like, you don't want to throw guys in immediately. You want to, you want they should sit behind I, you know I wouldn't be surprised if Tua sits the entire year this year because they do have a lot of draft picks next year and next year the Dolphins could be like listen now is our time to win now is our time to win these games and the rebuild is done they paid a whole lot of players this year uh not a lot of them are on one-year deals so they're going to get a lot of these guys back next year in starting to at week one would be absolutely detrimental to his development the more Tua sits and learns behind a veteran like Fitzpatrick the better off he will be for sure. This is not only going to benefit Tua, but the entire Dolphins organization, since they could very well have their franchise quarterback in Tua, as I think they do. With practice starting and teams finally getting to practice together, some of these teams haven't practiced together since December, so it might look a little sloppy. We also get to see a lot of these new head coaches on the field that were hired during the offseason. One of these new head coaches is the New York Giants head coach, Joe Judge. So Joe Judge has been having a very old school approach to practice, making players run laps and a whole lot of yelling and having uh, no names on the back of, on the back of practice jerseys. And one of the main reasons that he coaches in this style is because of the time he spent in New England with Bill Belichick and at Alabama with Nick Saban. This style hasn't particularly worked to make great coaches. Might I remind you of Eric Mangini and Matt Patricia? Both of them didn't really turn out that well at least for now, but Joe Judge is trying to rewrite the narrative and show that his style works in other places besides New England, and one way he is doing this is by making no players bigger than any other players on their team, including second-year starting quarterback Daniel Jones. He made Daniel Jones uh, run during practice for mental mistakes, and he's trying to bring back that blue-collar culture in New York that brought two Super Bowls to New York in the last 15 years. The main problem with this style of coaching is making sure that players can still respect you as a coach and a leader if you are that hard on your team. You need to be authentic with your players in order to keep their respect. This also needs this also needs to like work because if you're not winning, these are grown men on the football field. These are grown men on these NFL teams. They're going to look back, they're going to be like, "Why are we like still listening to this guy if everything he's doing is it's not helping us win?" And there's other places I could go where I'm not going to have to deal with this style of coaching and I'll win more. I, I think that, that that could be a very big problem for the Giants if they don't start winning right now and Joe Judge keeps coaching like this. You know, the Giants are in a very interesting position this year. 
I'm a much bigger fan of the Giants this year than most people are. A lot of them think, you know, that they're just going to get another top 10 pick next year and win less than six games. However, I think it's very possible that they show up this season and surprise a whole lot of people. If Joe Judge actually ends up being legit and his coaching methods work, then watch out because the Giants have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. Daniel Jones heading into his second year, put on almost 10 pounds of muscle this offseason. He looks absolutely shredded. Saquon Barkley is coming back after he was injured almost half the year last year, but still managed to put up over 1,000 rushing yards, which is very impressive when you're only playing eight games, because there's a lot of backs that didn't put it up in 16 games. So, you know, I had predicted that Saquon will finish this year as the top running back in the league, and I'm still going to stick to that because I really do think he will. Saquon putting up crazy numbers when the offensive line wasn't a priority for this team. And now imagine what's going to happen when it, when, I mean, they drafted Andrew Thomas, they're upgrading their offensive line consistently. Eli Manning was getting absolutely destroyed by that awful Giants uh, defensive line for so uh, terrible Giants offensive line for so bad. Like it, that, that Giants offensive line was awful. That's all I'm going to say about it because, you know, you look at a team like the Colts who hadn't decided that, you know, the offensive line was important until they drafted uh, Quentin Nelson a few years ago. Andrew Luck, their main reason he had to retire, he was getting absolutely killed, a- absolutely killed by that awful offensive line. You know, they have very average receivers, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, but I still think that it'll be enough to help them win games. But they could give Daniel Jones enough some good targets to Evan Ingram as well as long as he can stay healthy that's the biggest problem there now with this defense they do have a few good returning pieces like Leonard Williams Marcus Golden and Jabril Peppers they also added some weapons outside of the draft like Blake Martinez and drafted my top safety from this year's draft class Xavier McKinney assuming that at least some of these guys step up the Giants defense could actually be very good but it's going to be a challenge especially since they are in a division like the AFC, like the NFC East that has two very good offenses with Dallas and Philadelphia. Keep it in the, keeping it in the NFC East, the Philadelphia Eagles are in a bit of an interesting situation with their star tight end, Zach Ertz. He constantly gets disrespected by everybody between his Madden, rang, Madden rating being significantly lower than Gronk's, which is uh, absolutely ridiculous. I talked about that in my first show. Just that was the that's it's it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, Gronk hasn't played in a year, and you know, Ertz he's never really mentioned by anybody when it comes to like he's always mentioned as the uh top, like he's always mentioned as the third tight end, but usually the third tight end is not going to get mentioned a lot because of Kittle and Kelsey. Like we talked about last week, George Kittle and Travis Kelsey, who are, are who are they are no doubt the two best tight ends in the league. Don't get me wrong, I think Kittle's one, Kelsey's two. Both of them just got paid big money. I think Ertz is next. Ertz is due for a big contract extension. It will be interesting to see how much the Eagles actually pay Ertz, whether they pay him as the third best tight end in the league or whether they break the bank for him to make sure he stays in Philadelphia. The Eagles should absolutely pay him to make sure he's happy and stays in Philly for a long time because he is that talented. Bill Belichick was asked about whether it might benefit from having uh, potentially two signal callers with varied skill sets. Belichick responded by saying, it might. I always say I'll do what I think is best for the team. What gives us the best chance to win? Whatever that is, I would definitely consider it. Run unbalanced line, double unbalanced line, 23 personnel, whatever it is. If it helps us win, 
I would consider anything. And go ahead and tell me this isn't the most Belichick response of all time. He is a master manipulator to the media. For all I know, Belichick's going to come out week one and get under center and play quarterback by himself with no offensive line. And he's just going to get there and throw the football himself and probably win games. But he isn't going to give any teams a signal on what he's going to do week one, especially at the quarterback position, which is the biggest question mark for this team. A quarterback platoon with Cam Newton would be it would be very interesting to watch, and this will probably be the most unconventional New England offense in the last 20 years. The only thing I worry about with Cam Newton is doing anything outside of the pocket purely because of his injury history, and everything I'm hearing from Cam is that he's fully healthy and ready to go, so it should definitely be fun to watch whatever the Patriots end up doing this year. This is the Hard Count Football Podcast Live. My name is Jacob Charna, leading the next generation of football fans live on YouTube and Twitch with Chris Landry Football. Please help spread the word as you can catch this show on the Chris Landry Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash Chris Landry Football. And you can listen to this podcast on your mobile device by signing up for Landry Football's conference call wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch this show on chrislandryfootball.com where all this information is there for you. Now, I'm excited to bring on my guest for today. He is one host of Destination Draft. Please welcome Michael Rockman. Michael, what is up? How are you today? Hey, doing all right. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Michael, you and your co-host, Nicholas Burst, run an NFL draft show. Normally, when looking at the draft, it's always very cookie-cutter for the most part. A lot of guys show up in their senior year and can become first-round talents like Joe Burrow did last year, and you always have a nice amount of tape to judge a player off before you draft them that you feel like and you're confident that you're making the right call. How is scouting going to be different this year when it comes to the draft when some of the top players in college football have already opted out of the season and a lot of these colleges aren't even playing football in the fall? Well, I think first and foremost, one of the biggest things is just going to be evaluating how much these prospects made improvements in terms of their first year, if they were playing as a true freshman to their true sophomore year and seeing what improvement happened there. Uh, a lot of weight is going to go on uh, overall build. Like if someone like Gregory Russo, who's considered one of the top edge rushers of this class, comes into the combine and has put on 20 pounds of muscle, the scouts are going to love that because right now he's considered very thin, very frail, and they want to see this guy put on some weight. But if he comes in and he hasn't put on weight, then it's going to start to raise some doubts because when these star players – are taken out of a season. And even though the decision may be justified entirely, maybe uh, doesn't hurt them much in terms of how they're perceived as a prospect, it still is going to hurt them in terms of recency bias. And I think while there are some very uh, maybe mature scouts that aren't going to have that way in, I think it's just natural for any human and any evaluator to have that happen where the person who puts up the best performance in the most recent time is going to have a little bit more impact on your evaluation. So if you're seeing someone have a great season that is actually playing this year compared to someone who sat out and you're still hoping that they're the same player, even though they probably are, you're probably going to lean for the guy that you just saw recently and get to fully evaluate that improvement from year to year. Right. So like we said, some of the top prospects for the 2021 draft have already opted out of the season, including names like Mika Parsons, Sage Surratt, and Jalen Twyman. I think it's very possible that some of these guys do fall to a better team, kind of like what happened with Lamar Jackson, just purely because they aren't playing this season. And I'm mainly curious about, you know, 
how this draft order is going to work. Do you know anything about how they might make the draft order with NFL teams if there is no NFL season this year? So from what I've heard, if there were to be no season, the two biggest options that have been proposed are either A, running it back with the same order, which most people probably wouldn't be a fan of, but most likely, no matter what they decide on, no one's going to be happy because of the fact that I mean, it's just, it's such a weird circumstance that you don't really have a right way to go about this. The other alternative option is an average placement of the last five years in which the teams will have their pick decided by where they've usually been picking at. So, you know, a team like Cleveland, who a lot of people are thinking, you know, this year could be a big year for them where they could make a jump and get to playoffs, they're now re-entering that realm of getting a number one pick probably because I assume no one's had a worse uh, five-year span than them. So, you know, you're looking at that situation and really it's going to upset someone regardless if there happens to be no season, which is why I think the NFL is just really wanting it to happen. But it's it's definitely going to be interesting to see uh, the NFL PA, the NFL, the owners, the GMs, everyone's going to be – having lots of phone calls, lots of meetings, trying to get this hammered out. And if worse comes to worse and there is no season and they're still trying to have this draft, it's going to be very hectic to see what the play out is. Yeah. Well, I mean, my jets might get a very high pick if that's how it works, because, uh, you know, <laughs> I-, I would be interested to see like if the Browns are sitting at the one pick ne- next year, like, they're probably going to trade out of it because there's going to be a team that needs Trevor Lawrence more than I, I would, I would have a bundle from Jacksonville for him um, with picks that they have accumulated from the Jalen Ramsey trade from stuff like that, just over the next couple of years. But that's, that would be a very interesting thing, but you're right. Nobody's ever going to be happy because nobody can ever agree on just one thing that would work. Whatever happens, it happens, but I'm just hoping that there's a season because I need to watch football this year or else sure. I might or I might go crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> who are some guys uh, next year that might be going under the radar that we might not know about? So right now, one of my favorite sleepers of this class is Joseph Osai of Texas University. And I think one of the biggest things that people kind of miss when they're evaluating these prospects as college football players alone and they aren't really looking at how they look in the NFL system is versatility goes a long way. And when you have a guy like Joseph Osai who can line up at the edge, who can line up as an off-ball linebacker, that automatically fits him into many defenses in the NFL. And for Texas, he has constantly grown. He came in as a kid from Houston and, you know, he was kind of skinny didn't have a lot of success early on, and year after year that he's been there, he's put up great numbers, and now he's a key piece for that defense. And next year, or this season, I mean, assuming that there is one for the Big 12, he should be a superstar for this Texas defense, and I think the Longhorns are going to be the first ones on him, telling everyone about him, and the word is going to spread. And performance after performance, I think he's going to rise up boards, rise up in terms of national attention from fans. And when you have a guy that can play linebacker, play defensive end, play inside if you need him, I mean, the the possibilities are endless. And that type of upside, that type of versatility goes much bigger and much more favored by coaches than even fans or even people who try to scout like me may realize. 
Yeah, I'll take your word for that one because that's uh, I haven't even heard his name before, but I'll, I will take I'll take your word for it. Hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully he performs this year. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a statement that I, I this is my opinion on this. I want to get your thoughts on it. So I've never been a big fan of um, quarterbacks coming into the NFL. Uh, they haven't necessarily been successful looking at the history of them from these big name schools like Alabama, LSU, just because. You know, the Carson Wentz is who from North Dakota State, these guys who have been working with, with who were working in college with nothing. And now if you're going to Alabama as a quarterback last year, let's just say Tua. Tua had the weapons. Tua had Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs catching the ball for him. So it was kind of like and probably one of the best offensive lines in college football, if not the best, just surrounding him. He's he's in like he's just in a nice little bed to just do whatever he needs to do and end up as a first rounder top 10 pick. I think that maybe a guy next year like Trey Lance or maybe like even a guy this year like Jordan Love who come from these smaller name schools who necessarily don't have the same weapons because look at it. Russell Wilson came from Wisconsin. Wisconsin isn't necessarily a top five football school in the country. Drew Brees came from Purdue. Like these are these are quarterbacks that are playoff quarterbacks. And I think besides Deshaun Watson, none of these quarterbacks came from big name schools like like Clemson or Alabama. You know, I, I think that these smaller name these smaller name quarterbacks are always end up doing better in the NFL. How do you feel about that? Well, I think the biggest thing when evaluating anyone is I always tell people, you know, you can never scout the helmet. Uh, one of the biggest things that I hear is, you know, oh, USC QBs, you stay away from them because there was Carson Palmer who for a lot of his career had some struggles. And then, you know, obviously he had some success later on, but there were some early struggles that made it to where, that was probably the last good one. And then there's all these other QBs, Matt Barkley, uh, Mark Sanchez, and now there's Sam Darnold, who, you know, I, I'm a big Darnold fan. I think the Jets haven't done a great job in terms of uh, uh, yeah. giving them opportunity to succeed. But, you know, for the basic fan, it's, oh, Sanchez, Barkley, Darnold, they all haven't succeeded in the NFL. Why would I ever draft a USC quarterback? The thing is you have to evaluate circumstances based on what has happened for them and what they prove in the film. So while there are a lot of great points that you raised, I mean, Tua had one of the best supporting casts that we have seen, and it could potentially be a lot different in the NFL just in terms of change of play, but also not having a superstar cast compared to it. But I think one of the biggest things that, you know, someone like Joe Burrow proved time and time again was he was great and phenomenal at handling pressure. So, going from sitting behind LSU's offensive line, which is very good for a college football program, to sitting behind the Bengals' offensive line, he's going to have to deal with more pressure. But he's oh, yeah. one of the most poised quarterbacks I have seen in a long time, probably since I've started scouting, which, I mean, really getting into it, I probably didn't start until 2016, but I've been like watching film since 2012, maybe. Andrew Lux year was like the first year I tried to like check out film and like see what everyone was doing, but... 2016 is when I really count as like officially being in it. But I feel like I have not seen a guy keep his composure that well with handling pressure, keeping his eyes downfield. And one of the other guys that maybe I did see it from was Darnold. And he wasn't even close. Darnold was really good in terms of evading pressure. He was able to maneuver in the pocket very well. And while he's definitely still struggled with the pressure in the NFL, I think Burrow has proved to be, I don't know, extraordinary. And I think it's these traits that kind of set you apart that make you 
the ultimate QB of whether you'll succeed or not. Kind of wrapping back to your question. Yeah, Joe Burrow had a great staff and great system and great team at LSU. But he proved to have elite traits that are going to set him apart to where I think he'll find success. Now with Tua, in terms of accuracy and numbers, the analytics show that he's one of the most accurate QBs we've ever seen at the college football level. But when he had to deal with pressure, especially in big games, there were issues. And that's going to be something that he will have to work on. And it was a recurring issue with guys like Josh Rosen and Dwayne Haskins, where maybe these guys definitely got short end of the stick in their NFL careers so far. And there's still more to be seen on Haskins. Sadly, I think Rosen's career is probably now just stuck as a backup, but Tua will have to grow in terms of dealing with pressure, dealing with especially interior pressure and having to maneuver around the pocket and make plays for himself. But the biggest thing is you can't base it off of, oh, well, they have all this talent around them. You have to base it off of what do what does this QB specifically do? If they're just tossing it up to their receivers, the receivers are going and getting it, and they're kind of leaning on that, yeah, for sure. There's, there's definitely question marks to be had. But when you have QBs that are kind of the reason that this team is as successful as it is, I think there's plenty to be confident in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that – um, especially when you're looking at uh, it, it, the the quarterbacks that are put. So Russell Wilson, let's go with Russell Wilson for now. Oh, let's let's stick with Carson Wentz. So Carson Wentz came from North Dakota State, didn't have necessarily like we said the weapons that Tua had, but that's how quarterbacks I think overcome adversity with their teams is when necessarily they aren't surrounded with the best weapons. Like Carson Carson Wentz was surrounded with like furniture for receivers last year, and he took them to the wild card. Like, yes, Carson Wentz got hurt in the wild card game, but that was off a dirty hit by Clowney. And Carson, I think they, the Eagles probably would have won that game if it wasn't for Carson Wentz getting injured. I was at that game. I like, I saw they, the, the Eagles just looked like the better team until, until, until Carson got hurt. Uh, and you know, I just think that, um, that's probably the main reason why these quarterbacks, when they're developing, if you develop with nothing you're going to do better when you get something, when you get that receiver that you needed versus if you have all these receivers and then all of a sudden you're surrounded with only Devontae Parker and that's it. And the, the next guy, I mean, they had, the Dolphins had two guys opt out. Their two and three receivers aren't playing for how I think uh, Albert Wilson and oh God, I forgot the other guy's name, but it's only Devontae Parker there. That's it. So it's going to be interesting to see maybe what Tua does, uh, if he ends up playing this year, I don't think he should, or I don't think he will. But like, what do you, what do you think Tua? Do you think Tua should be starting Week One for this Dolphins team? I think in terms of pro readiness, if he were to be asked to go out Week One, I wouldn't think that he would be someone that would struggle terribly. But at the same time, when you have his injury history taken into account, when you have the fact that. QBs that generally struggle with pressure need a little bit more time to develop to the NFL speed of the game, processing coverage, and also just learning how to how to deal with pressure. I think he could definitely benefit from some time. You have a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick who, A, has already publicly embraced the idea that Tua will be the QB to take over for him, and B, is competent as a starter. I mean, he's maybe not going to be 
your superstar QB who's going to win you all these games and get you to the playoffs. But he is someone that the team has obviously kind of come around and really looked up to. Last year, he he had some really, really inspiring games. And maybe oh, yeah. the Dolphins record-wise obviously weren't some super team. But I think the fact that Flores is there trying to build a culture, when you have a guy like Fitzpatrick who really helps bring the locker room together – it's, it's huge if you have him starting and also embracing the idea of bringing Tua along as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick, he knows he knows the deal. He knows that he's he's getting up there in age, obviously, and he's not he's not going to be a franchise quarterback for a team. He never really has been. Um, he's going he's kind of that guy. He has been for his almost whole career now that like. They draft that younger quarterback, and he's just supposed to basically teach them, kind of like a like Ben Kenobi teacher. Like it's just like <laughs> he's he's just he's teaching his Padawans. But yeah, so my final question for you before I let you get out of here is: What are the odds that you think the NCAA can actually pull off a college football season with the conferences that plan on playing, whether that be in the fall or the spring this year? You know, whether they pull it off is. Probably about 70-30, I think 70% chance it can happen. And while I'm not sure if it should, I think uh, (laughs) based on what we've seen, it seems as though these conferences are very more in favor of the fact that they need to have it happen more so than trying to figure out whether it's the right idea to happen. And, you know, I, I wish I could say that or I wish I could give any real answer in terms of, oh, this this is how they should do it and this is how it will succeed. But really, I I haven't been able to hear much in terms of their plans about going about it, in terms of trying to keep them away from students that maybe aren't being as responsible as these athletes. But it, it's going to be very chaotic for sure. And I hope that it works out. I mean – College football and pro football are things that I I love to have over my weekends and missing out on it would definitely suck. But if it means that the players are staying safe, I I would be okay sacrificing it, even though, you know, it's it's not something I'm I'm in favor of in terms of a fan. But as a person, I think it's important that you kind of acknowledge that if they decide to go with cancellation, you know, it's it's probably smarter people deciding than I am. But the the real interesting scenario is if they were to cancel with the XFL trying to start back up and trying to get out of bankruptcy, a lot of people are wondering if Dwayne The Rock Johnson is going to kind of create this little bubble that allows these people who kind of want to go into the draft to really become a showcase of some form to where these prospects can come in, play for these pro for these pro teams, and then show off for the real NFL where they can, you know, eventually make their name. We saw a prospect last season, Kenny Robinson out of West Virginia, who eventually ended up playing for the Mountain Hawks, I believe was the team name. And he ended up getting drafted. And, you know, he proved himself as a competent safety, a promising prospect, and an NFL team decided to go and get him. So now the question is, is it something like that? Or if we go and the college football season happens, do we see this kind of mega free agency type system where these star QBs in conferences that aren't playing like Trey Lance, 
does he go to somewhere like Tennessee or TCU? Right. And it it's going to be chaotic regardless whether it's no football on Saturdays and it's just people like you and me going crazy or whether it's, you know, this mega recruiting transfer portal that creates super teams in college football. But I don't know. The biggest thing is just we got to wait and see. I wish I could provide more answers for you, but Oh no, it's oh, no, there's a there's a lot of uncertainty right now. I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen, but I think watching a super team watching a season where there's super teams in college football, I feel like that as a fan that would be very fun to watch. Yeah. I think yeah, but you know, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Go ahead, promote yourself, tell us where we can find you. Uh yeah, so if you're looking for me on Twitter, you can find me at MR underscore NFL draft. Uh, I have a show on Landry Football Twitch channel as well every Monday and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, we talk about the NFL draft, me and Nick Durst, and hopefully if that interests you, we do a good job at it. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for me today. And, uh, yeah, Michael Rockman, go check out Destination Draft also on the Landry Football Network. So back at it, wide receiver Des Bryant had a workout with the Baltimore Ravens but left the workout without a contract. This isn't surprising to me whatsoever. I mean, he hasn't played an NFL snap in three years. Like he also had problems with catching the ball as a wide receiver, where his only job as a receiver is to catch the ball. Like that's like the one thing you can't have a problem with is catching it. So, I mean, unless I, unless he did something crazy while he, in the last three years where he can now catch, which, um, I can't really see him having any real impact on any team, whether he gets an opportunity to get signed or not. So also with the Baltimore Ravens, they might have to release their Pro Bowl safety, Earl Thomas, after he had an he, after he had a heated with another safety on, on the Ravens, Chuck Clark, on Friday. This led the Ravens to sending Thomas home early from practice, and he hasn't been on the field since. The leadership council on the Ravens made it very clear to people in charge that they didn't want Earl Thomas on the team anymore. I really don't think this is just the heated argument. I think this might've been a locker room problem maybe last year because I mean, he's only been on the team for a year, so it, it had to be something recent. You know, he's been having, he hasn't had a great off season. You know, maybe he should go to Philadelphia city of brotherly love, <laughs> but uh, it was, you know, it was also reported that uh, the players on the Ravens strongly supported Chuck Clark during this argument. So nobody was even on Earl Thomas's side, John Harbaugh, not somebody who's going to tolerate this. He has his mind constantly set on winning. Baltimore has a very winning culture. And if anything gets in the way of that, he's going to get rid of it. He's going to push it out of the way. And he might have to get rid of this distraction as well. In this situation, and the distraction is Earl Thomas, who they might just have to get rid of following Friday's practice. This might be difficult for the Ravens to figure out because of Thomas being in only the second year of his four-year $55 million contract. One way that this could happen is through a trade. And as anybody who has watched anything I do knows, I love speculation. So once again, let's go through some teams that I think should definitely take a look at the 31-year-old safety. And the main thing when looking at a trade with Earl Thomas is that the only teams that should really look at him are teams that are trying to win now. He is not a good locker room guy from what I've heard. So I'm going to take that into consideration right now. And these are also teams that were interested in trading for now Seahawks safety, Jamal Adams. So starting off, the Dallas Cowboys. So the Cowboys really wanted Jamal Adams when he was looking for a trade from the Jets. And they seemed like the favorite to land him until they didn't, until the Seahawks came out with some crazy offer. They gave away their entire 
future for Jamal Adams and his safety. You know, this doesn't change the fact that the Cowboys are still in need of a top tier safety. Edwards is currently their starting free safety. And while he is a very average player, he is not nearly as good as Earl Thomas is. If the Cowboys do trade for Thomas, he can make this defense a lot better and fix a problem that Dallas has wanted to fix for quite some time now, which is their secondary. Up next, we have the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners are another team that was interested in Jamal Adams. Right now, they currently have both Jimmy Ward and Jaquiski Tart as their starting safeties. And since Earl Thomas has shown last year that he can play both strong safety and free safety, he would be an improvement from what they have going now for sure. Their division rival Seahawks are upgrading their defense like I was talking about, and it would only make sense for the Niners to keep adding to their already elite defense that took them to a Super Bowl last year in order to stop some of these young dynamic offenses in the NFC West that just keep getting better. Coming up next, we have the Houston Texans. So the Texans are probably the most interesting team that I've, that I've written down here because they have an opportunity to show that they can win without DeAndre Hopkins and that Deshaun Watson is the elite quarterback that everybody is saying that he is, that I also think he is. I think Deshaun Watson is, he doesn't, he goes, he gets very unappreciated when you're talking about NFL quarterbacks. No one ever really mentions him in the top five. And I think that Deshaun Watson probably is a top five quarterback. If, I mean, I, I, my top five quarterback. So I, Russell Wilson is my, is the top quarterback in the NFL for me, followed by Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. Then I'm going to probably say Deshaun Watson and then five, I'd probably say Carson Wentz just because uh, of how much of a Carson Wentz fan I am. Either way, I think Deshaun Watson is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL. And one way that Houston is going to win this year is on this defense. The reality is they don't have very good weapons on offense besides Deshaun Watson. They traded away D-Hop. Their one is Brandon Cooks, who I'm not a big fan of. Um, I think he's going to be fine. He's not going to be a wide receiver one like they really need him to be this year. Right now, the Texans' safeties are Justin Reed and Jalen Watkins, so Earl Thomas would obviously be a huge upgrade. The defense could still be very good, but adding him, this defense could be great this year if they could put Earl Thomas in the secondary and still have J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless dominating as well. Those are the teams that I think should trade for Earl Thomas. And with that, we are going to wrap today from the Hard Count Football Podcast live. My name is Jacob Charnow, and thank you so much, everyone, for joining me today. Be sure to go follow me on Twitter at Jacob Charnow, Instagram at Hard Count Football, and here on Twitch with Chris Landry Football. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to Hard Count Football and check me out on SoundCloud as well. Join me next Sunday for more exclusive interviews and talk about the top headlines in football. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.